Welcome to uh, Midtown 12 South. My name is Elliot. I'm the pastor here. And um, it's a joy to be with you this morning. Thank you for bringing the church into this room uh, that we might worship together, learn together, uh, be invited into the mystery of Jesus and faith together. Um, We've been spending a summer in the biblical practice, the biblical art, the spiritual discipline, whatever you want to call it, of prayer. And there's many ways to get plugged into prayer here on Wednesdays. We've got a morning prayer and evening prayer opportunity on Sundays during the nine o'clock service. Um, We have a a prayer team that gathers to pray for you and intercede for you. And if you've got prayer needs, they are upstairs in a a little uh, lounge office to pray. Lots of ways to pray here. Uh, But what we're doing is uh, we're going on the journey. The the posture of this series is that we would go on the journey and ask the Lord, "Would would you teach us how to pray? Because we don't know how to pray. Romans 8 says we don't know how to pray as we ought. And so we're asking the Lord humbly, would you, would you teach us how to pray? We're calling this series Sacred Delight, Conversations with the Almighty, that we might humbly go on the journey, no matter where we're at spiritually, uh, of asking the Lord to teach us how to pray. And when his disciples, Jesus, when Jesus' disciples come to him and ask him in Luke chapter 11, Jesus, will you teach us how to pray? He says, certainly. And then he teaches them how to pray with the model of what's known as the Lord's Prayer, which is perhaps the most famous prayer in the world, most well-known prayer in history. We just read it together. Um, And it's not meant to necessarily only be repeated verbatim. That's certainly not a bad idea, but it's more meant to be a model that would guide us in the themes of the kinds of things we ought to be praying for. So as we become familiar with the language of the Lord's Prayer, it ought to lead our hearts to pray other prayers like it uh, in our own hearts. So we're using Jesus' model prayer, the Lord's Prayer, and walking through that kind of theme by theme throughout the prayer. And we've looked at the first few lines already. And after the opening line of call God your father, Jesus then moves into the first three, what's known as petitions, the first three requests. We've looked at those so far over the last couple of weeks. The first three things the prayer is to ask for don't have really anything to do with the individual praying. Now they affect the individual praying, but they have to do with the Lord and his kingdom and his presence and that the world would come to know who he is and that his name would be hallowed, his name would be adored and that his kingdom would come and that his will would be done. And so the prayer's asking for that. We're like turning our eyes off of ourselves and asking that the Lord's kingdom and his name would grow renowned, not our own. We've looked at those over the last couple of weeks, and now we begin the first of the second three petitions. There's three petitions about the Lord and his kingdom and his will, and then there's three petitions for the prayer. What ought we to ask for ourselves uh, for our needs? First of these petitions is what we're going to look at today. So if you will, turn with me to Matthew chapter 6 if you have your Bibles. We're also going to be in John chapter 6, a few books over. Uh, and if you're not good at sword drills, uh, don't worry, it'll be on the screen. I can get there before you. Um, and you can just take my word for it. It's what the Bible says. But um, Matthew chapter 6, and then we'll skip over to John chapter 6, says this. Matthew 6, starting in verse 7, this is Jesus' intro to the Lord's Prayer in Matthew. He says this, When you pray, do not heap up empty phrases as the Gentiles do, for they think that they will be heard for their many words. Do not be like them, for your Father knows what you need before you ask him. Pray then like this, Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And now this first petition, give us this day our daily bread. Daily bread. Give us this day our daily bread. This is the first petition that the prayer is to ask for on their own behalf. 
Now we're going to jump over to John chapter 6 to give us an additional text as we look at this theme of living bread. Look at this theme of daily bread. This is Jesus in John chapter 6. He's just fed the 5,000, and now he's having a conversation with members of the crowd who want more from him. They say this to Jesus starting in verse 31. John 6, 31 is where we're going to start. It says this, Our fathers ate the manna in the wilderness. They're talking about the Israelites leaving Egypt uh, in the Exodus. Our fathers ate manna in the wilderness. As it is written, he gave them bread from heaven to eat. Jesus then said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, it was not Moses who gave you the bread from heaven, but my Father gives you the true bread from heaven. For the bread of God is he who comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. They said to him, sir, give us this bread always. Jesus said to them, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger and whoever believes in me shall never thirst. And then skipping down to verse 48, Jesus says, I am the bread of life. Your fathers ate the manna in the wilderness and they died. This is the bread that comes down from heaven so that one may eat of it and not die. I am the living bread that came down from heaven. If anyone eats of this bread, he will live forever. And the bread that I will give for the life of the world is my flesh. It's the word of the Lord. Amen. So as we dive into this idea about asking the Lord for daily bread, I want to break it down in, I want to break it, break bread. I want to to whittle it down into a few different ways to look at it because This teaching of Jesus to ask for this, this line of give us this day our daily bread is multifaceted, it's multidimensional. It could be said that with this one line, Jesus is playing checkers and he's playing chess at the same time. He's doing both things. He's he's introducing multiple dimensions of the ask of the prayer when we are to pray, give us this day our daily bread. The first place to start, the checkers place to start, is the simple and the surface level of this prayer, but that does not mean it's the shallow part of this prayer. When we ask the Lord for daily bread, there is a literal and physical ask, Lord, would you give me the food that I need today? Bread would have been the staple food for Middle Easterners when Jesus taught this prayer in the Middle East and his listeners would have understood, oh, he's talking about the food I need daily to stay alive. And bread in the Bible goes on to kind of mean, it kind of represents all food kind of the generic all food. It's, it's the meal. It's every piece of food. And so literally, if a kindergartner read this prayer and they were reading through the Lord's Prayer, they would not know what hallowed means and they would not really understand what kingdom come means, but they would understand when they got to this line, oh, Jesus is teaching us to ask for bread. Jesus is teaching us to ask for food and they would not be wrong. This prayer is addressing a literal felt need, actual bread. This, Lord, this prayer is asking for the Lord to meet one's actual needs and provide for them actual food. Stanley Hauerwas, longtime Duke Divinity professor, uh, tells the story in his commentary on this on the Lord's Prayer. He says this, he says, a woman in a village in Honduras trudges up the mountain each day to gather and then carry down the mountain the sticks for her cooking fire. She then goes back up the mountain to fetch water for cooking the food. Then she grinds the corn her husband has raised, cherishing every kernel hoping that this season's corn will last them through the winter. The tortillas are made in the palm of her hand. She drops them in the pan, cooks them and feeds them one by one to her children. The only food they will have that day to fill their aching stomachs. 
Stanley Hauerwas says, that woman undoubtedly prays, give us this day our daily bread differently than we pray it. And she's not alone. Millions of Christians for thousands of years, when they pray this line of the prayer, people in this city pray this prayer way differently than people in this room pray this prayer. They're actually asking for Jesus to provide them with literal food. I'm hungry, Jesus, and if I don't get food today, I will not have sustenance to live. Jesus, my great provider, will you provide for me food to eat? And any Jew listening to this in Jesus' context when he says this line of the prayer, any of these first century Jews, they would have immediately known that Jesus was at least at first referencing literal food because they would have heard Jesus' words in the echo chamber of the Exodus story. That they would remember their ancestors, they talk about it in John chapter 6, the passage that we read, hey, There's been a time in our people's history when we left Egypt in slavery and God set us free with Moses and the 10 plagues and he set us into the wilderness and for 40 years our ancestors were in the wilderness and every day there was daily bread that came from heaven and actually filled the bellies for 40 years of our ancestors and we call that manna. Every day for 40 years, God provided bread from heaven for his people to eat actual and literal food. You know the word manna, what it means? It means, what is it? Because <laughs> they're going, where did this come from? <laughs> what is it? Every day for 40 years. And here's what was interesting about the Israelites collecting food in the desert. If they tried to gather more than enough food than they needed for that day and say like, oh, well, we don't know if the food's gonna come tomorrow, so we should, we should store up some extra manna that we can gather. Any food that they didn't eat that they were trying to save spoiled overnight. They couldn't eat it the next day. They had to wait for the next day's daily bread and they waited for the next day's daily bread every day for 40 years and every day for 40 years, the Lord gave them manna from heaven. Here's what the checkers level part of this prayer is asking for. Do you know that God is a God who provides for you? And every time you sit down at a restaurant to eat food or every time you sit down at your kitchen table to eat food, every time you put anything in your mouth, God's the one that gave you that. It's why it's not wrong or crazy or legalistic to pray before meals because it's good for you to recognize that though you didn't labor for this food, maybe you just paid for this food, this food was given to you by your provider God because he loves to give you what you need for your belly. This prayer is, a, is teaching the prayer that God is a God who knows your needs and we are to request for him to meet them. That's the simple reading of this prayer and it must not be overlooked. We are to pray for literal physical food to give us what we need. It's just not the only thing that's in this prayer. It's not the only level that Jesus is teaching us to pray on. See, what's interesting about this line from the prayer, give us this day our daily bread, is that it can seem a little redundant. Like, give us this day our daily bread. Like, Jesus, you're just kind of repeating yourself. In the line, verse 11, give us this day our daily bread. You can throw that up there. That word will... um, Daily is a fascinating word. Most English translations translate that Greek word that Jesus used daily. They translate it daily. Here's what you don't know about that word. Here's what I learned about that word this week. 
is that that word, when, it, when, a, when translators are trying to translate from ancient Greek, which is the language of the New Testament, the original language, into English, one of the ways that they translate words is they look at other ways and other places that that same word is used throughout the Bible. And they can kind of get a, a fuller meaning of it. And then if they need a more meaning, then they go, well, what are other ways that this word was used in ancient Greek literature? Like how did other authors and other historians and other philosophers around the time of Jesus in their writings, how did they use this word? So you can kind of begin to get a little bit of a, of a broad definition of, oh, that's what this word means. Here's the problem with this word. It's the only time that word is used, not only in the entire Bible, it's the only time that word is used in all of ancient Greek literature. It's the only time that word gets used anywhere. And so over the centuries, translators into hundreds of languages who have translated the Bible into their languages, they're trying to figure out what exactly does this word mean? Lots of ancient church fathers, Origen being the most notable one in the third or fourth century, literally said in his commentary on the Lord's Prayer, I have no idea what this word means. <laughs> like I, it, it's, 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 we can kind of study the root word of this word and kind of try to build around the prefix and the suffix that Jesus puts on this word. But what does this word actually mean? And so translators have tried for years to get at a, at, a, at a translation that would say, that's exactly what this word means. Some people think because this is the only place it's on record being used in any ancient text, Jesus made this word up for this prayer. And English translates it daily. It's not a bad translation. It just doesn't quite scratch at the mystery of the broadness of, the, of all that this word might mean. And so if you kind of take all the different attempts to translate this word, go to the root word of this word, go to all the different ways that different languages have tried to translate this word, it begins to take on a new meaning. And it doesn't diminish the asking for physical bread daily, but it certainly adds to it. And if you study all the ways that it's been translated and all the, the study that's been done on this one word, here's what the word kind of starts to mean. It kind of means today. Give us this day our bread for today. But it also kind of means tomorrow. Give us, this, give us today our bread for tomorrow, which doesn't make a whole lot of like, physical sense. But then it kind of also means give us this bread that lasts forever. And so if you kind of take all the meanings of all the ways it's been translated, it starts to kind of mean something like this, this word daily. It means lasting bread. It means never ceasing bread. It means never ending bread. So one scholar translated the verse this way, give us today our never-ending bread. This is where the prayer isn't merely scratching our surface in physical hunger needs. It's also a deeply spiritual ask of the prayer. God, will you give us today the bread that could cause me to be satisfied today? God, will you give me the bread today that would make me not worried about tomorrow, that if I could feast on never-ending bread today, I would have what I needed today in my soul, and I would be satisfied with today, and I would be content with today, and is there a bread I could eat today that I would feed on, and I wouldn't be anxious anymore? And I wouldn't be discontent anymore. I wouldn't be angry anymore. I wouldn't be bitter anymore. Is there a bread I can eat that wouldn't just fill and meet my physical hunger, but would satiate and quiet my spiritual hunger as well? Give me the never-ending bread today. Can you give me the bread that doesn't run out? Can you give me the bread today that lasts? Jesus, will you give me never-ending bread today?
with that kind of multifaceted approach to the translation of that word. Now here, if you kind of know that Jesus in this prayer is talking about not just physical bread, but spiritual bread, listen to what Jesus says in his interaction in John chapter six that we read. We're gonna read verse 33 through 35 in John chapter six, says this. For the bread of God is he, Jesus is talking about himself, who comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. They said to him, sir, give us this bread always. Jesus said to them, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger, and whoever believes in me shall never thirst. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger. There's a bread you can eat. There's a bread that Jesus has. There's this bread eternal. There's this never-ending bread that when I eat it, my soul won't be hungry anymore. It will actually dissipate my spiritual hunger. There's a bread that I could eat that would so fill me, so meet my needs, so get to the deepest place in me that while I'm eating it, it's as if all of my spiritual hunger goes away. And anytime we start talking about spiritual hunger, we have to also start talking about desire. Anytime we start talking about desire, we have to start talking about our needs. Because desire, true desire, is always related to your deepest needs, not your deepest wants, but what do you need? We try to fill our desire, fill our needs with our wants, but when Jesus is talking about spiritual desire, he's talking about spiritual needs. Let me ask you this. You don't have to raise your hand and answer it. Just keep it to yourself. What do you think you need right now? Like, like today, in this moment, what do you think you need right now in the season of life that you're in that has literally led you to this moment where you're physically sitting here in the present tense and you're sitting in your chair and you think about your life, you may need to close your eyes. What is it that you think you need? Most of us would answer that by saying, I need more money. I need a relationship to begin or end. I need relief. I need a break. I need for the pain to stop. What do you think you need that if you got it, it would make all of your spiritual hunger and spiritual desire go away? Do you think you need a spouse? Do you think you need a different spouse? Do you think you need a big break in your career that you've been working for and pining for and scratching for? Do you think you need a new city to live in because this one's not doing it anymore? Do you think you need liberation from your addiction because you're so tired of fighting it? What do you need right now? How would you answer that? And as you ponder that question, what do you need, maybe ask a more challenging question. Who gets to answer that question for you? Like, are you the best one to answer the question, what is it that you need? Are you the best judge of answering what you truly need? And is it possible that the Lord may define your need differently than you do? If you're gonna to come to the Lord with a spiritual need, I need, I need bread that never ends. I need forever bread today. I need a bread that I could eat that would satisfy my deepest needs. Is it possible that he knows what would satisfy your deepest needs and you might have different answers than him? Like what if what we needed was to become more dependent, not more independent? What if what we needed was to become less self-reliant, not more? 
Whatever we needed was to become less self-sustaining, not more. And what if those things that led us to those places of being more dependent, what if those things were the daily bread that as you encountered those things on any given day, as you encountered things, what those ended up doing was driving you and drawing you and pulling you into a reality where you realize, oh, I'm actually hungry for something way bigger and way deeper than how I've previously defined my needs. Like what if my days were structured in such a way and I encountered things in such a way that what it awakened me to was I have a deeper need that no money or no spouse or no vocation or no bliss or no anything can meet. I need something deeper. Would that be getting daily bread if my encounters every day drove me to my deep spiritual hunger? What if what you needed was to know how needy you are. And what if it meant encountering that need and neediness every day meant you were getting closer and closer to truly feasting on the bread that you could feast on that when you feasted on it, you wouldn't be spiritually hungry anymore. And if what we need is need, if what we need is an awareness and an admission of our own neediness, What kind of daily realities do you think you may have to encounter to actually be familiar with and become friends with your deep neediness? Maybe what we need is pain. Enneagram 7 hates that. What if what we need is more humility? What if what we need is more repentance? What if what we need is days not going the way that you thought they would? Would that show you your need? If the days that you encountered didn't go according to your plans and what that did for you was it showed you your need and that would be Jesus answering this prayer for you? So what if the days you encounter are full of things that you didn't plan for, didn't ask for, didn't foresee and wouldn't want, but what they were doing was leading you to realize how hungry you truly are for never-ending bread? What if Jesus answering your prayer for give us this day our daily bread meant that your days got harder, not easier? But Jesus, that's not what I'm talking about. (laughs) That's not the daily bread we like to ask for. When we think of our need and our Lord meeting those needs, we want him to give us daily bread that always tastes good. (laughs) Like why can't daily bread be cake? (laughs) Like, why, why can't it be something that's gonna taste delicious every time I put it in my mouth? I want him to give me daily bread that makes me feel more impenetrable, more adored, less needy. Give me that daily bread. Give me more money. Give me more ecstasy, literal or experiential. Give me less pain. Give me less hardship. I'm looking for daily bread that will make me more independent. Here's what I want with daily bread. I want to eat daily bread that will make me so strong I'll finally be independent enough to never have to ask for daily bread anymore. Give me something so that I don't have to feel my frailty I'm looking for bread as an armor. Build me up so that I can become unbreakable. Give me bread today, right now, that if I eat enough of it today, Jesus, I'll finally be fixed, I'll finally be cured, and I won't break anymore. 
Give me the promotion I've wanted and I'll quit asking you for things. Give me enlightenment. Give me a new body workout. Give me a self-discovery. Give me a marriage. Give me an experience. Give me a bread right now, Jesus, that will rid my tomorrow of having any needs. We literally want Jesus to answer this prayer, give us today our daily bread, in such a way that if he answered it, I would never have to pray it again. Give me my daily bread so that tomorrow I don't have to ask you for it anymore. That's the kind of bread I want. And so the offer of Jesus to pray this prayer and mean it and say, give me daily bread, and then that means I'm gonna have to depend on him daily for that bread. It's, off- it's offensive to us. Wait, you, you want me to pray for daily bread today and then every day for the rest of my life? No, thank you. I would rather have bread that makes me more independent, not more dependent. So Jesus, you want me, you want me to need you today and then need you tomorrow when tomorrow is today and have the same need of you each day? Jesus says, Exactly. Because here's what Jesus knows. He knows you better than you know you. And he's not some narcissist who just loves to be needed all the time. He's not some unhealthy Enneagram two, okay? He's not like, I just have to be, by the way, Jesus didn't have an Enneagram number. Just throwing that out there, all right? But he's not going, oh, I just love it when people need me because that makes him, his ego so fragile. He, he has to be needed by you. That's not what's happening. What if what he knows is behind and beneath and underneath all of your deepest desires, under your demands for more money or more sex or more enlightenment or more independence, whatever it is, what if underneath all of that is actually your truest hunger and your truest hungry is for the never-ending bread of life? That's what's driving all of your wants. But what he's trying to get to is your deepest need. And what you're really hungry for is God himself. And so asking to be fed daily with daily bread will remind you of what you're truly hungry for. Now again, you may hear that and not like that. You may hear that and be offended. You may hear that and think that Jesus is insane. But would you, just for a moment, we're in his house, would you assume that Jesus isn't crazy for a minute? Would you assume that Jesus actually loves you for a moment? What if the hunger beneath all of your hungers was real and what you were actually hungry for was the never-ending bread of life and there was an object for that hunger, Jesus, that you could feast on and be so satisfied with when you feasted on it that when you feasted on it, you wouldn't be worried about tomorrow in any way? Is there a bread when you say, give me today the bread that never ceases, give me today the never-ending bread that you could feed on today, and when you feed it on it, you wouldn't be worried about your bank account, you wouldn't be worried about your kids, your future, your issues, your health, your body, your progress, your performance. You wouldn't be anxious about tomorrow because you'd be so satisfied with what you were feasting on today that tomorrow would lose all of its trouble. What if you ate the never-ending bread every day and it actually rid you of all of your bitterness, all of your rage, and all of your insecurity? Would you dare to believe that when Jesus is speaking, he knows that's reality and that that is really true about you? There is a hunger inside of you for something deep and there is a bread that can satisfy that hunger. If that were real, if that never-ending bread actually existed, would you want to eat it? 
Okay, no one's nodding. So that either means we're not listening or you're really locked in. I'm, I'll go, we'll go 50-50 on that. But when Jesus makes this offer in John chapter six, I'm the bread of life. Whoever feasts on me will never be hungry again. Listen to what the disciples, listen to what the crowd says. This is John chapter six, verse 34. Joseph and I, worship leader, laughed about this out loud in the office this week, planning this service. Look at verse 34. Sir, give us this bread always. Like, they're like little kids, like, wait, wait, wait. This is real? Like, there's a bread I could eat that when I eat it, I'll be satisfied and I won't be worried about tomorrow. I could have never-ending bread today. Sir, give us this bread always. Woman of the well says the same thing. John chapter four, a few chapters early. She's asking for living water, says the same thing. We want this bread, and if it's real, Jesus, give it to us always. There's just, there's just one catch. You can have it always. You just can't have tomorrow's bread today. You can only eat the never-ending bread today, in the present. If you're worried about tomorrow's bread and am I gonna have enough for tomorrow and is Jesus gonna meet my needs tomorrow and is he gonna be there? You can't feast on tomorrow's bread today and if you start worrying about tomorrow's bread today, you'll be unable to feast on the daily bread that's right in front of you. This is daily bread today and you can only feast on it today in the present And if you feast on this never-ending bread today, you will have all you need for that moment, for the present tense, like your existential reality, like the breaths that you're taking, your present self, which is such a hard person to be with. But if you get to that present place and you feast on Jesus, you can be satisfied right there. Doesn't take away any of your problems, doesn't take away the hurricane of the world that you're swimming in, but it will make you satisfied in the present of today but it's the only way to have never-ending bread is to eat it in the present tense. By the way, the same was true for the Israelites in the wilderness. Same was true for them. This This is what happened with the manna. It's the same. Their physical experience of manna is teaching us about our spiritual experience of eating never-ending bread. They could only get manna enough for that day. And if they tried to store up enough manna for the next day, what happened? It spoiled overnight. If they tried to take care of tomorrow's hunger today, then the bread they were saving up for tomorrow wouldn't work. You can only be satisfied in the present tense. This is spiritually true. This is existentially true. This is philosophically true. This is logically true. Your future self can't be satisfied with something you're gonna do today. You can't take care of the rest of your life today. In any like logical thought about that of I'm trying to satisfy an unknown amount of time with an experience or a buildup or a work ethic today. Can't do it. You can only deal with today, today. As Jesus says in Matthew chapter six, tomorrow has enough worry of its own. Your future self cannot be satisfied with something you're going to do today. The only thing that can be satisfied today is your present tense self. And if you want your future self to be satisfied, here's what you have to do. You have to quit obsessing over the future. And only be present with today and feed on the never-ending daily bread of today. That's it. It's really hard work. Because getting present with today means getting present with the pain of today, the dashed hopes of today, 
all the things you're gonna do tomorrow and the things that you promise will make it better next time. But ask any addict this that's gone through sobriety and has tried to get clean. You can't be a free addict forever. You can only be a free addict today. You just have to say no today. You don't have to say no for the next 40 years. Just say no today. This is what it means to be feasting on never-ending bread. The dailiness of this means you can only do it today because Jesus is with the real you. He's not with the future you. He's not with the, the person you thought you'd be by now. He's not with the one who you promise you'll do better next time. He's only with the real you. So the real you can only feast on him in reality, in the present. And when you feast on Jesus, you will never be hungry again. So how does that work? How does never-ending bread for today make us not hungry anymore? Let's take a lesson from our physical hunger. Your felt needs, your felt hunger, like in your actual belly, is meant to be, it's meant, it's meant to lead you to actual food or to fast for a season, but it's meant to show you actual food. It's also meant to be the trailhead for you and I to begin to understand what our spiritual hunger is all about. C.S. Lewis said that if there's a desire or a hunger for something, it usually indicates that that thing exists. He says this in Mere Christianity, creatures are not born with desires unless satisfaction for those desires exists. A baby feels hunger. Well, there is such a thing as food. He goes on to give some other examples, and then he says this. Earthly pleasures were never meant to satisfy it, but only to awaken us, to suggest the real, deeper thing. Here's what C.S. Lewis is saying. Here's what Jesus said thousands of years before Clive Staples Lewis said it. Here's what he's saying. The same way your stomach grumbles for food is the same way your soul grumbles for God. David says it in Psalm 62, as the deer pants for water, so my soul thirsts for you, O God. Your physical hunger is meant to be the trailhead to teach you about your spiritual hunger. The same way you look forward to a meal when you sit down at your favorite restaurant or at your kitchen table, when you look at the food and you think, man, I can't wait to ingest this because this is gonna be delicious. That's what your heart is saying about God. I'm hungry for him in this same way. It's been famously said before that when a man knocks on the door of a brothel, he's looking for God. So when Jesus says in John chapter six, like we read, that he is the bread of life, he's saying, do you know the thing that you long for most in life is me? Do you know what you're hungry for in life is me? You're hungry for my love, you're hungry for my joy, you're hungry for my peace. You were made in my image and you've been hungry for me ever since the garden. That's what it means that Jesus is offering himself as the bread of life. That's what he's saying to you. The way your stomach is hungry, hungry for actual bread, your heart is actually hungry for him. And then what does he say about his offer of himself? He says it in the Last Supper. This is the upper room the night before Jesus is going to be crucified. He's with his disciples at a Passover meal. Listen to what he says in Matthew 26. We don't have this on the screen. Just trust me, this is what he says. It says, as they were eating, Jesus took bread, broke it, and gave it to the disciples and said, take and eat. This is my body. 
You're sitting at a Passover meal with some unleavened bread, and Jesus takes the bread, literally imagine this in your, in your, in your minds. He's breaking it into pieces, and he's serving them the food, he's serving them the bread, and he's saying, this is my body because I'm about to be torn in pieces for you. I'm about to be ripped apart for you, and what I want you to do with what I'm about to do for you is eat it, feast on it. Take my ripped apart self and let those wounds heal you. See, we're all looking for a bread that we could eat that would finally make us strong and independent enough where we would feel like we wouldn't break anymore. But Jesus says about himself that he's the only bread that won't actually break you because he's already been broken. And feasting on his broken body and drinking his poured out blood in your soul can actually satisfy your deepest hunger. See, you want to know, is there a place I could belong? Is there a place where my neediness isn't too much? Is there a place that could wash away all of my sin and sorrow? Is there a place that would welcome me at the table after all I've done? And Jesus says, feast on me, I've made it so. That's what you're hungry for. And notice what else he says at the Last Supper. I love, I love this posture of Jesus. He breaks the bread. He says, this is my body. I'm ripping it apart. Look at what's happening to the bread. That's about to happen to me for you. And then he says, take it. Take it and eat it. Here's how Jesus responds to your and my soul hunger. Take from me. Take, take from me. It's like any nursing mother Take from me, take my resources, take my nutrients, take my very body, take it and ingest it into you to get what you need. I've got an infinite storehouse for you. You just take from me. You take and you take and you take and you take. Keep taking from Jesus. He, said, he tells you to, he commands you to. So when you have a day that you can't seem to get it right and the wheels seem to be falling off and the hurricane seems to be swirling, Jesus pulls up a chair next to him at the table and says, take from me and eat. Do you know your neediness? I don't disdain your neediness. Take from me and eat. This is the bread of life, broken for you and giving himself for you. This, this, is, this is Christianity. That the bread of life asks you to feast on him and doesn't ask you to do anything before you do that. All you need is need. And then it gets better. I wish we had a whole sermon on this. So I'll preach one right now. No, I'm kidding. Here's, here, here's where it gets even better. The daily bread, the bread that lasts forever, the never-ending bread of life. We feast on it today and we eat on it in the present, but here's what we do is we eat on it in the present. We know it's just an appetizer of the feast to come. It's merely a whisper. It's partially how feasting on never-ending bread every day actually satisfies us. Because we begin to go, oh, this world is falling apart. There's pain, there's sadness, there's sorrow, there's sickness, there's death, there's divorce, there's anger, there's addiction. There's all these things, and I can't seem to get satisfied here. And when I feed on this daily bread that's just an appetizer of the feast to come, I realize what C.S. Lewis goes on to say in that section, that this world is not my final home. There's coming a feast. I was made for another world. And when kingdom comes, when this world does get restored, there will be a great wedding feast of the lamb. 
That's the feast you were made for. And nibbling on the bread of life now is just wetting your appetite for the table that's being set for you. This bread is sustaining us today, yes, but it sustains us as pilgrims until we get to the wedding feast of the Lamb in the house of Zion. And that will be the day that he will give us this bread always. Yes, he gives it to us each day. We take from him now. But we look forward to the day when we will feast with him forevermore. Let's pray. Jesus, give us this bread always. We're so hungry for it, Jesus, and we think we know what we need. We think we need a break. We think we need relief. We think our world is falling apart and there's everyone else that needs to change. And if you could just change the people around me, then I would be content. What we need, Jesus, is you. And hearing your words at the Last Supper, you break the bread and you say, I'm here. You need me and you have me. Take and eat. So for our deep spiritual hunger, Jesus, would you feed us this never-ending bread? Make it so that we don't leave this place worried about tomorrow because we have so feasted with and on you, Jesus, that our soul's deepest hunger is satisfied and we will leave here non-anxious, unafraid, and full of joy today. Satisfy us with your love and your body, we pray. Amen. So if you've been around Midtown for any number of years, you know that we typically uh, celebrate the Lord's Supper on the first Sunday of every month. The first Sunday of July was last Sunday, and none of you were here. No, I'm kidding. Some of you were here. But we, did, we served communion last week. But as we were prepping for this sermon, the elders discussed it and talked, uh, and Joseph and I planned the service, and we thought, how are we going to talk about the bread of life and feasting on Jesus and not serve communion again? Um, so we are serving you communion today. Don't get used to it. It's not going to become a weekly thing, okay? It's still going to be monthly, but we thought, how could we not? So before we do that, I need to build a fence around this table. I'm not trying to build a wall to keep you out, uh, but the Bible commands the pastors and the elders to build a fence around this table to warn you before you just come rushing in because what's behind me with these elements that actually will be passed to you is something really powerful, we believe this table to be a sacrament, which we believe uh, means that it's sacred. What that word means, it comes from the old Latin sacra, which means mysterious and powerful. And so I don't want to try to explain away the mystery of what we're about to do. Here's just what I know the Bible says. Jesus says it in John chapter 6. When you eat of this meal, it has the ability to get into you, into the deepest places in you, and begin to change you from the inside out. You're literally going to be eating and drinking grace from an infinite storehouse. And as you feed on Jesus by faith in your hearts, as you feast on him and chew on him and literally drink him down, it will transform you. It will reorient you. It will reform you. And it will make you new. Now, you won't leave here going, oh my gosh, I'm so transformed. But over time, this meal, this pilgrim meal is for our sustaining that we might feed on the bread of life today. Just because there's so much power and mystery in this meal, we give warnings. Here are the two warnings in Scripture. The first warning is for those of us in the room that have never placed faith in Jesus. 
this meal is a proclamation of your faith in Jesus. So if you've never placed faith in Jesus, don't immediately become a hypocrite by acting like you have just because everyone else might be doing it. We would ask that you ask curious questions and you don't have to do anything to earn this table. You just come and take from Jesus. But until you've professed faith in Jesus, this table is not for you. But the other warning in scripture is a little bit more stern and it's to those of us who have professed, professed faith in Jesus. We have eaten on Jesus as the bread of life But for whatever reason, we're in a season right now, to use the metaphor of the day, where we're feasting on earthly bread that we know won't satisfy us, and we know Jesus is convicting us to stop doing it and repent to him, and we're willfully and explicitly refusing to to run to Jesus with repentance. Some theologians would say that means you're treating Jesus as Savior and not as Lord, and you don't get to do that. And what the Bible says is if you come to the table not sober-minded, if you come to the table arrogantly, if you come to the table you calling the shots, then you eat and drink judgment on yourself. Now, I can't bind everybody's conscience, but I can warn you. But I would also say this, that warning in scripture is not meant to get you lost in the hamster wheel of your head where you would say, oh, have I repented of every sin this week? No, you haven't. That's okay. What it's meant to expose in you is are there known places where you are refusing to repent? If you're an addict that's sin sick and weary, you run to this table. If you're apathetic and needing Jesus to awaken your heart's affections, you run to this table. If you're someone who can't seem to get it together, you run to this table. This is a pilgrim meal for weary folks along the way. You come and you feast on him. I read this week that the Eucharist, the sacrament of communion, in in this act, Jesus puts himself in our hands so we know exactly where to find him. In that moment, we don't have to wonder whether God is for us. We know he is for us because we've just tasted this never-ending bread. He has given to us his son. Take and eat of him. I'm gonna close in just a minute with a quote, but before I do that, the servers will come up in just a minute and they'll pass the elements to you. As the elements come, you take and you can... Partake of those elements whenever you see fit. We've got three songs to sing. I would encourage you, though, for the first couple of songs to take some deep sighs, to get present here. You don't have to try to do the work of not worrying about tomorrow. You feast on this bread and let it rid you of all of your worries about tomorrow. You feast on this never-ending bread, and I would just encourage you to take it slow as it comes to you. The quote I want to read for you is too perfect not to share. It's from Tolkien in Lord of the Rings, and... He said it better than I can. But if you don't know that story, Sam and Frodo are on their way to try to destroy the ring of power in Mount Doom and they're on their way and it's a, it's a weary journey. But they were given this magical bread from the elves called Limbus bread. And Tolkien and I talked and he was actually referencing communion. Actually, he did say that on record that he was talking about communion. Um, but listen to all that we've talked about eating this never ending bread Listen to how Tolkien describes this limbus bread as sustenance for the pilgrims each day that they need it on the journey home. You can throw this up there, Will. It says this. It says, the limbus had a virtue without which they would long ago have lain down to die. This is communion. At times, Sam's mind was filled with the memories of food and the longing for simple breads and meats. And yet, this way bread of the elves had potency that increased as travelers relied upon it alone and did not mingle it with other foods. It fed the will and it gave strength to endure and to master bone and marrow beyond the measure 
of mortal kind. Take and eat.